All right, we're back again. Pretty interesting connection happening. Season two, episode one of Growth Vault. I got a got an Austin connection here with your man, Raba. We also got a little Portland connection here with your man, AO, the people's champ, Aaron Orndorff, has joined officially as the third and best musketeer on the Growth Vault. We'd love having you here. The response to the, the two episodes you did with us in season one were just incredible. Maybe people just like hearing someone else's voice, Rob. I think that's really what it was. So well, he's better to be looking here. and smarter. So we're, exactly. we're definitely upgrading. Better, better hats, like just better hats, vests, just everything is Iconic vests. So we're really excited to have Aaron here joining us as a partner in crime on Growth Vault. Just crush B2B with us, drop all the knowledge that he has. This week we have a fun one. He's going to tease it in a bit. But Ayo, man, great to see you. This is amazing. Let's call it the honeymoon. Yeah, that fills my heart up. Yeah, just then. Yeah, you gentlemen, there are few people in this world of B two B marketing overlapping with ecom, consumer, D 2 C, that sort of space. There are few people that could have touched my heart more than hitting it so hard, and uh, you making this invitation. This is a uh, promise myself I wouldn't cry moment, but thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, I listened to your guys' episode before it came out, and I thought uh, Rob was going to fire me and just be like, "Yo, dude, you out." You know what was it called? Uh, do the do the old uh, Heidi Klum. You are out. It's a new number. <laughs> Who dis? Yeah. Well, to be fair, I I wouldn't know what to do without. We wouldn't hit our uh, francophile references quota, so oh, we, we had to keep you on. Dude. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's a fro there's a fro quota on this pod, so. I could have <laughs> got to blind you guys. And uh, to be fair, we were trying to, you know, make sure that we were giving opportunities to everyone, like white males, like Aaron, yeah, to make sure that yeah. he's well represented <laughs> yes, in, yeah, in yeah. our uh, strident, strident for a diversity. Yeah, the we made it in. Oh my world. goodness! Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Middle Eastern world that you live in uh, now, Aaron. So I want Aaron to do the lead in after we talk about this. But uh, Clavio's IPO. How do we feel about it? Yeah. So this is going to be launched in a couple weeks. It's not been bad. There is some weirdness going on with what I actually have to talk a little bit more with Drew Fallon in terms of what's going on, because there's some weirdness going in the sense of how it's actually like all this, a lot of their stock is actually not going to the company, which is really odd. It's almost like this weird, like quasi, like weird secondary almost in a weird way yeah. there there was all these little things that drew is going through the s1 which, which for people that don't know that's the document you have to file before you get listed on the exchange clavio is listed on the new york stock exchange and let's see since launch they're down around seven percent so they're still hovering yeah. around 33 bucks so not horrible i think one of the big challenges that Clavio had. And one of the things that stuck out to me in the S1 was the fact that they have a little bit under 1,500 customers giving them a little bit over 50K a month. Yeah, dude. And like yeah. for most people in the DDC world, like, oh my gosh, like in the enterprise public world, like that's not a lot. So I wonder how robust this stock can be. And I also, um, another thing that um, for people that aren't familiar in the space, usually, so once everything goes public, there's no more preferred, there's no more like tiered shares anymore. So you might have like preferred shares. And the way it works is you'll have a liquidity preference, right? So the last people in obviously had to pay the most to get in, but they also get paid out first and then you walk it back. And so what happens when you go public, everybody's equal. 
everybody owns common stock. There's no tiers of stocks anymore with preferred, et cetera, et cetera. So all those liquidity preferences go away. The reason I'm being all nerdy about this is what also happens is when employees are granted stock or buy stock, there's something called a lockup period. And so they aren't allowed to sell their outside of like mostly like C-suite and stuff like that. Those employees, and sometimes C-suite does have that as well for signaling risk, but those employees do not have the ability to sell stock inside that lockup period. And it can be usually two months, months, three months, six months. Yeah, exactly. Depending on what the the preference is. Um, And so that I think will be the real test of the resilience of the stock when the people that are inside the company that can actually sell it. And so that's why you almost always see a decent little dip in uh, a newly IPO'd company is because the yeah. lockup happens if people want to get their money. Always buy on um, lockup day ending. Always buy on lockup day If you can figure it out, I that's always it. always buy on lockup day ending, dude. I bought Uber. That's it. Lockup day ending. I bought a bunch of shit on lockup day ending, dude. I've totally that's it. You. I'm quasi bullish. I don't know. Where do you land, AO? I'm definitely bullish. Okay. Well, I, I'm nowhere that was, that was near energy. As yeah. Well-versed in this. I can't win to some of the stuff you're talking about with Drew. That was an interesting tidbit to me. But to me, it's, it speaks so directly of the environment we're living in, where this is a this is a company that has spent less than it's made. Yeah, that's and fair. That, in a really remarkable way. Yeah. And yes, there is, they had to come out below their last race. That's never a good look. Yeah, correct. And there's plenty of other, you know, you could throw onto it, but bullish in the sense of, I don't see anyone else who's heir apparent to that ecosystem throne to go beyond those 1500 that are paying more than 50 K. I think that's an inevitability, especially as Shopify continues to grow up Shopify plus, I don't see how they don't keep pushing in that direction too, as well as diversify into further grab those. Not to platform. cut your flow off, but Shopify owns, I think, around 13% right? of Clavio as well. So yeah, sorry, do. but yeah. keep going. You're on, you're on a roll. And that, that's exactly, I don't see how that marriage falls apart. And then the other rumblings, you know, Fair about play. is there going to be an Amazon? Is Amazon going to open up an email avenue? And this is one of those like deep behind the scenes, like at a meetup in Seattle, I was at talking to a reporter from, I don't know, it was Bloomberg who wanted to then hit me up afterwards. I was like, I haven't heard anything about that. But if that's a thing they can do, like that then opens up such an avenue for, it doesn't have to be upmarket in that case. Mm. It's just, if you you can lock up another sort of, these are the games in town for e-commerce. Yeah. I really don't see how they lose, especially with like, man, Shopify came in, came out so hot and so strong and rode that wave of, I should have sold every bit of I had like right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And they're not up against that. They're coming yeah. out post that drop, yeah. right? So I don't see how it just doesn't, I'm bullish. 100%. I thought the market like cap's kind of high, to be honest with you. Like nine bill feels like a lot based on the based on what I saw within kind of the filing um, of like their, their customer segments, just because they didn't have a lot of enterprise customers. But AO, that's I think- scares what, me. Yeah, that's what scares me. It's like if they'd gone at six, I would have been like, yo, this is 100% a buy for me mm-hmm. because they can yeah. absolutely work into getting to a, um, what is it, 11 figure valuation. But the fact yeah. that they're coming so close, it feels a little, feels a little sketch. The thing that you said though, you know, I think is such an important point. There's so many things that happen in these back rooms, which is like, we talk about like, the, first of all, there's two things that for me are the economies of scale that allow them to get in the rooms with, Amazon and say, Hey, we'll be your provider here. And then have that thing with Shopify is like, all right, that's just a cheat code already. The second one is just, they're so big at this point. My only question is like, 
will they have this kind of technical, this like technical fall off? Because like, I use Clavio. It's not that great. Like it's not, it's good enough, but like there are better softwares out there. And so I guess the question is like, mm. um, are I'd push switching? back on that. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good product. Sure. Candidly. I think it's pretty clunky though, dude. Like using it. Okay. Yeah. It's no, powerful. that's fair. Like that's fair. Clunky. That's fair. It's, clunky. I, it's definitely hard thing. to get around. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. But it like, it's like a creative suite kind of thing, right? Like in yeah. Adobe, like once you learn it, it's really helpful. But to your point, that could be a really big on-ramp for people that might not be able to yeah. internalize or set a different way, extract the value that Clavio yeah. is charging you for. Just a little uh, numbers check. Um, they actually didn't take that big of a haircut. They uh, last raise was nine five, nine point oh. five billion. They, they came they out at nine two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So honestly, I thought there was going to be a huge haircut. Honestly, that's that's yeah. pretty in, in this market. That's that's actually pretty strong. Well, when did they that's take that? When did in they this take market? Capital? That's the key word. Yeah. yeah. When did they take that? Twenty twenty one, like before twenty twenty two last year. Twenty twenty two last year. Yeah, cheap money was better than cheaper back then, so it makes it makes sense. But that's what I'm saying. Three hundred milli, like that's not a super huge haircut. So that's yeah. that's pretty strong. And they came out at thirty. And yeah. they're currently around thirty-two ish, I think. Last oh, time I checked. Good. So yeah. honestly, not like all. All that, that's a really good sign that the bankers yeah. did the roadshow right, and the people yeah. got their their money. They saw the little baby pop, and then it kind of came yeah. back down, but didn't the bottom didn't fall out. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe AO's onto something. I will push back on the Amazon thing in the sense of they are way more guarded with the customer data. And so figuring out how to build transactional emails, et cetera, et cetera, without divulging that data is interesting. However, however, the buy with Prime is a really interesting kind of dovetail. Right. And so, right. yeah, being able to, because then you they're in your ecosystem, but you're, that's what always was so interesting because Shopify tried to take on logistics with, it was the biggest acquisition they've ever made with Deliver. Yeah. And then... They basically wrote it off. They sold it to Flexport for a bunch of, uh, not money, but actually a bunch of equity in Flexport, which also makes me really nervous because Flexport is getting fucking wrecked right now. But um, anyways, we're starting to get into a million different places. But the too long didn't read. I, I like the idea of the Amazon thing. I just don't know if there is as much legs there as we want there to be just because I don't really know what the incentive for Amazon would be. It's the leftovers because not that's such a <laughs> right, but I mean that in like the leftovers, the crumbs from their table, right? Because the money is in the advertising platform. Yeah, the it is so big. Fulfillment and cloud services. Yeah. Oh, dude, the margins on their cloud services just fucking bananas, dude. It's right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And so the crumbs from their table are like I I look at it. And I'm like, why would they just make a thing that because the opportunity at these other ends of the spectrum are so much greater that they just don't care and they're willing to give that up. And when they give that up, those crumbs from those table is that's a huge piece of owning the e-commerce pie from a comms perspective. Yeah. That that they'll just fine, you can have it. Because I was of the same mind too. When I was talking to I was like, dude, they don't give any, are they really gonna share? Can you send? But you're yeah. right, that that lean towards the buy button, there's just a lot of strange bedfellows and blurring of the lines over the last six months that I think point towards exactly that, that like they know, and for for Shopify, right? The money's in the transaction. Mm. That's it. It turns out it's insanely hard to do fulfillment. So let's F that. Yeah. Let's just focus on. So well put. 
And so they're making their bet of like, someone else can do it better. We can yeah. eat off that. And I think it was Future Commerce that had a really great piece on what, what did Shopify make? Shopify made some hundreds of millions on this in like a, like a three to six months investment yeah. is what they turned around on this as well. So they're just printing yes. and it's like, okay, that's not our core competency. And it's also not where the core value of our business lies. Yeah. So like, just let someone else do it. I think- it actually is a really important part of their business. But I think the former point that you made is just more prescient where it's like Amazon's just going to shit on you in logistics. That was, again, going back to that deliver purchase, that was the dream. Like this vertically integrated, okay, we can, you can spin up a store with us. We'll handle all the logistics, the fulfillment, et cetera, et cetera. And Amazon's just better. To your point of core competencies, like it's, it's just better. It's like Apple making a social network. Like they tried, I think it was called Ping. Ping or something. I, I can't remember. But they try. It's just not their core competency. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think that's the the more prescient point. And kudos to to Toby to be like, dude, fuck this. Like, we tried it. It didn't go anywhere. We'll take some stock in this company. Get it off our balance sheet, and um, you know, just yeah, go with the big boys that know how to do it. And yeah. let's concentrate on like Shopify. Just launched this crazy thing with your phone now, where you can do basically three D renders of your product from your iPhone, from the Shopify app. I'm downloading iOS 17 to play with it now. So uh, anyways, I totally agree with uh, all your analysis, Ayo. Just a, just a couple little pushbacks. Love I'll it. I'll take it. Love it. Ayo, what's our topic today? Our topic today, and this is really fitting for going into Q4 on the B2B side of things. Yeah. Because now it's, it's planning time. Yeah. Consumers at a peak, most buying decisions are being delayed or they're being evaluated into November, December for what's the next year going to look like. And we're doing the yeah. exact same thing. So I'm staring down that barrel of planning. And the tension, the tension that I constantly live within, and this is what I'm really, to hear your take on it, is, is it goals and outcomes? Is one way of thinking about how do we, how do we direct the ship? How do we build a strategy? Is it goals and outcomes? Or is it inputs and activities? Mm-hmm. And I think these are two, yeah. like, yeah, really, and, and sometimes can be at odds. And it's live for me because I'm going through this exercise right now of where do you place your bets, your focus, your energy? Is it goals and outcomes, activities and inputs? Chase, you want to start? A framework I was recently given by our friend Nick Harris was... Love Nick. Um, shout out, as Rob would say, powerful Nick, like amazing, was... There are need to haves and nice to haves in your business. And like, what's the thing that for the next quarter or year, your business needs to have and everything else is kind of subservient to that because essentially it's all the, the nice to haves flow in to the need to have, right? So for instance, we need to have a thousand new customers. Let's just say that's the need to have. We must have that to hit this thing to do this. All right. So what do we now, what are the sub need to haves or nice to haves that go within that? But like, you, to go to your question, it's like there is a overarching goal that we need to have, and then all of those things flow from there. The problem I've seen many times is there's not a lot of clarity because people have like opposing ideas about what you actually need to do for the business, and it's very seldom. I've not always experienced this, but I've seen other companies do this where like couple teams have their own goals, people have their own goals. And it's like, no, 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 we're moving the ship in this direction. And then we all kind of look at what are the second, third order effects of this need to have for the company so that we can all synthesize Mm -hmm. those two things. So I don't know if I 
like I kind of danced around it, but my it's, I think there needs to be a singular goal that everything waterfalls from because activities, dude, it's really easy to do a lot of activities and they don't, it's not motion. It's motion, but it's not progress. And so I'm much more, by the way, I've a card carrying member of that club for a long time, but I have tried to walk that back and say, look, if I take one step forward today, it's better than taking 10 steps. But it was like, you know, I was walking east and west rather than north and south. Right. Mm. So that's my take on it. I don't know what you guys think or if I just completely missed that. I'll throw my little two cents in and then I want to get uh, AO's riffs. But for me, I think there's a certain aspect, especially depending on the stage of the business. A lot of times there's one, not a lot of historical data. So you're, you're essentially making it up as you go along. Two, there is a certain aspect of you need goals, you need all these things, but the measurement is not the goal. So this was a, a podcast that I sent to you, Chase, and I'll send it to you from AO. Knowledge Project, Shane Parrish, great podcast, but this guy's name is Shreyash Dashi, and he just had all these rips on that. And that was essentially what he was saying is that if you're fixating, the goal is business impact. The goal is not moving a measurement. The measurement is to keep you constrained to make sure you have a proxy or heuristic that your directionality is going in the right direction. However, I've just seen so many times that as you start to get more people involved in the decision making, you might have now you're getting into like a finance person coming in. The board has things to do and like. I have my own views on the board, but a lot of times these people are just really wealthy and they don't really have any actually domain expertise. And so you you can kind of get a little bit of peanut gallery stuff in there, but because they put a bunch of money in, they have actually say at the table. And so where I'm trying to get at is I don't necessarily think you need to always have perfect measurement if there's impact on the business. Obviously, you want to line them up. Obviously, you need to have some sort of narrative with data built around that. But the too long didn't read is if the business is doing well and things are succeeding, like don't stop just because you don't know why you're succeeding. Like keep going and figure it out. And then as business impact starts to wane, then you can realize, hey, maybe we're not going in that right direction. And there's a great book called uh, by Kevin Ashton called How to Fly a Horse. And there was this incredible doctor who's actually the father of germ theory. And there was this uh, hospital in London and nobody would go to this hospital because it had the highest mortality rate ever for people having getting babies delivered. And they figured out why. It was The guy was like, oh, because back in the day, a doctor was a gentleman and gentlemen couldn't be dirty. But you know what they did? They kept all the blood and stuff on their actually doctor aprons and they didn't wash their hands. And so finally, this guy is like, hey, we should wash your hands, et cetera, et cetera. They started washing their hands oh my gosh, all the mortality rates just plummeted. Everybody started delivering their baby without actually dying because they were getting infections from all this craziness. Too long, didn't read. They eventually actually didn't like this guy because it didn't align. He couldn't explain why he was succeeding and he ended up getting kicked out of the hospital and basically dying and getting blackballed from the industry. Don't be that guy. Like, If you don't understand why something is succeeding, who cares? You want success. The measurement is not the goal. The goal is business impact. And that's kind of where I would land on all that stuff. Like, You can do this, that, and the other. And yes, you need to be able to wrap things, narratives and data and be able to keep leadership involved and excited about where you were, where you are, where you're going. But just because you can't understand why you're succeeding doesn't mean that you should kill the golden goose or uh, the other, you know, not to be punny, but, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
going back to that uh, hospital <laughs> thing. But anyways, How to Fly a Horse is actually a sensational book as well. So that that's kind of where I land on it. That's a phenomenal parable. Yeah. Two reasons. One, it illustrates what I don't think I articulated well. I have an opinion about this. I don't think I articulated well. I teed it up too soft, right? My opinion is 90 to 95% of every overarching company goal I've ever been given is nonsense. Yes. Dude. Yes. 100 fucking It's percent. a number chosen by what we wish were true and would be cool for lack of a better. <laughs> That's a bar. That's a bar. Get that on a t-shirt. And then yeah. if you're like, and this is for, you know, I would imagine most of our audience is in some sort of either position of leadership, but not necessarily at that level of making the decision and setting the number. If you're at that yeah. level of making the decision and setting the number. Yeah, you're right. Chase that whole thing of like being clear. Because let me tell you, it's someone might say our goal is to have a thousand new customers. That's a lie. And I know it's a lie because not all customers are created equal, but someone is going to be handed that and they're going to be like, oh, let's go get a thousand customers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, dude. And then it's like, okay, so then it's an app. What you really want is revenue growth, right? No, no, no. That's a lie too. Maybe you've got a, you've got a burn rate. You've got a, there's a profitability target you need to hit. I, or you know those those are the two like you're you're not like Clavio you're not you're still spending more than you're making yeah. but you don't want that to get too lopsided so that's the that's the constraint you need to live with it right so let's get really down and clear about what is the fucking goal and why and how do we yep. keep the lights on or what does the goal need to be to get that next influx of cash or simply to be if you are spending less than you're making more power to you what can we do the lack of historical data is a really good one. But what I loved about that parable you shared is that it illustrates perfectly the goal is let's lower the mortality rate. And it's fucking worthless if you can't figure out, and more importantly, if people don't just wash their hands. The activity is where everything else flows from. And what activities do we have even an inkling of are contributing in the past to accomplishing the thing we want to accomplish? Yeah. Then that's where we need to focus. And there's this massive disconnect between those two. And I have a philosophical reason why I feel that way also. Not just that like most goals are constantly moving. And if you're in a leadership position or if that's you're another in a, like, really good one. If you're at the, the top posts, Ugh. then it's your job to set and stick to or really clearly articulate why it changed. And yeah. if it's not in a spreadsheet somewhere, it's not real. Yeah. yeah. Conversation it is not yeah. real. 100%. Yeah. If you are at that level of like you're reporting into the top leadership, then I would say your job is twofold. And it's one, to give your top leadership a, be the gift of giving them a really hard time if it's not clear to you. If it's not clear to you, no one that reports into you or further out from you, if you're in the leadership meetings, but you're not at that C-level and you're in the meetings and it's not clear to you, no one else stands a chance. Yeah. So push them, give them the gift. It could be dangerous, speaking truth to power, but give your leadership, the person you... Give them the gift of being like, this is not clear and it's got to get clear. But then going down, so, so that, that's like the, I'll, I'll pause there too because I, I can keep rolling. But this is, that's, that, that's the divide that I typically see. And I'm wondering if like, is that, is that true? Like, did you resonate with that? It's usually a number we yeah, want to I, I, So I think the big call out I would have here is even if you're in that leadership position where you're in the room and you're making decisions and you're planning, finance usually hands you a thing and says, get here. Like they're like, hey, this is, and it's, by the way, this is wrong, right? Because there should be a team effort to like, hey, how are we doing this? What is the actual trajectory look like? Like, are we going to do something inorganic now because of the growth rate of this thing? For instance, like 
you'll see some of these companies that they just start gassing ads, right? We won't name any of the companies that do that, but they're gas ads. And it's like, it's not a, that's not a healthy thing for the business. The customer you're getting from ads is shit. You're going to have a high churn rate. Like, yeah, you're bu- you're buying a customer that you're going to lose. And so it's you already- know what it is. It's because someone literally told someone, go get a thousand customers. Exactly. We just have this joke. No. Exactly. And like, so, you want leads? I can get you leads. You want leads? By, by the I, way, I, start, leads. I started at get a thousand customers as my example. What I more meant was like, let's just get some fucking clarity on where we're at so that it waterfalls down. Um, but you're so right. Yeah. But it's always, it's yeah. always comes from finance. And so my kind of big call out to everyone is, is get really cozy with finance and make them your best friend. And because they usually don't have friends. Speaking, my wife is in finance. No one likes them at her company. If you can get cozy with finance, they're going to feel very warm towards opening up the conversation and the books towards you. And you can say, mm-hmm. look, this is in, what you're trying to do is inorganic. And I'm not saying you can't juice things like Rob has said. Once you feel that there's some inertia, you can just lean in, like fucking lean in, right? Don't ask too many questions. But they're going to – I don't want to say always. That's hyperbole. But more often than not, Finance knows where they need to go. They've been talking to, say, the board or you know, financiers, et cetera, where they say, like, okay, we need to get to this thing to get this next stage. And you're going to, as the go-to-market team who's actually making those things happen, you're going to be the one who has to deal with the shit, whether it's good yes. or not. So, like, fight to be in that conversation. Sorry, Rob, I think you had one. No, I, I mean, I love all of this stuff. But what I would push, not push back, but... I have a very unique view of finance. It's in a weird way, this necessary evil, but I don't think they should ever, 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 ever be involved in strategic decisions. The whole point of finance is to tell me when I'm going to run out of money, where do I need to do to get to this? But when finance starts to get involved in strategic decisions, my head explodes. And the reason I say that is because there's a great saying, the map is not the territory. The finance people look at a map. Us, people on the ground running GTMs actually in it, are in the territory. We're like, hey, there's a mountain over here. There's not a mountain on the map that finance said, how am I supposed to climb this mountain? I need more resources to get over this mountain to get to the place that finance said I was supposed to get to. Again, I finance is an absolutely integral part of a successful 100%. business, but I just think finance and legal need to be as far away from strategy, GTM, and execution as possible. They should be basically agnostic inputs from where the CEO wants to go. The CEO says, I want to get here. Give me this map and I will give this map to my people. And then that map can then be translated into what the actual territory is because they're on the ground. And if we need to add an ocean here or something like that. And also going back to AO's point and also to yours, Chase, is when you have very junior marketing people or, or junior GTM teams, what happens is they go, okay, cool. Well, I need to get X amount of 1,000 customers. We have Y amount conversion rate, yada, yada, yada. Okay, we just need to increase traffic to the site. That's what we're going to concentrate on, increasing traffic to the site. And you're just like, but that's not how it works. And again, not to say these measurements aren't useful. And all these things should be synthesized in a way that you can start to get some semblance of a compass to understand the impact of certain things. But if you just focus on traffic, because you know when I get X amount of traffic, Y amount of people convert, this is the AOV, you just get into these really misaligned incentives of not making impact on the business, but I'm just generating traffic. 
The measurement is not the goal. The goal is to generate MRR, is to get qualified customers that you can generate value for, that they want to stick around. And ideally, you can elevate them to not only a customer, but an evangelist because they're getting so much value from your product. And when you fixate on these just measurements, it breaks my brain because it just doesn't work like that. You can back into them, but it's not, it's the Steve Jobs thing, right? Like you can connect the dots backwards, but not forwards. And I think that's one thing that's really lost. And when you again get into these people where they're just so quant driven, there's no empathy and they think there's no mm-hmm. people behind these numbers. And it just breaks my brain because you, it, it just doesn't work like that. So, guys, sorry, that was a little bit of a rant. But before AO goes, I want to caveat one thing there is like, there's builders and optimizers. And these are like two different, there's two different yes. things and it's different stages yes. of companies, right? So like we have to be really, I don't say careful is the wrong word, but like let's delineate a little bit. So if we're talking yes. to someone who's pre-seed seed through like series B, builders, right? Series C, it starts getting a little dicey and they start having, you start having finance and lawyers involved and like it's stars and sentinels. Stars build shit, sentinels protect the downside, right? So Ooh, like- I've never heard that. Yeah, so like it's some framework I randomly think it's I always think about it. Like after you get to series C, you start getting lawyers, right? Before that, no lawyers around, right? What do lawyers make you do? They just make you stop doing cool, fun shit. Because like, oh well, this bad thing could happen. You're like, or we can make a fuckload of money and like have a great win on the board. And it's like a one percent chance that a bad thing happens. One percent's too much. All right, sorry. I'm sorry we hit a half a billion dollar valuation. And now we can't do the things that we want to do to actually drive the Think about forward. if Uber would have listened to legal. Think about if Uber would have listened to legal. They arguably minted the most billionaires ever in an IPO and guaranteed, I mean, they were literally breaking the law. What is the Nike saying? Fight the law, like uh, break the rules, fight the law. Yeah. 100%. So that's the only caveat. When you have optimizers, you just need to know who you're hiring. If you're hiring builders, it's not about the optimization. It's more like, how can I just build the best company and brand possible? And you can feel it when you hire those kind of people. You also can feel when someone's an optimizer and they are necessary, but it's at a certain scale. They start becoming necessary because just the scale dictates the need for them. But early stage, no fucking way. Like no optimizers. Well, and, and Ayo, I want to get your thoughts after this, but the only thing too about the optimizers is that I say it differently, like lever poolers and optimizers, but yeah. I like builders better because it doesn't matter. Like a 1% lift on a tiny store or on tiny MRR doesn't really matter. But if you're cranking and you're at like say $50 million ARR or something like that, one or 2% kind of lifts actually have impact on the business. So I think that's why the stage that you bring in optimizers and to your point, optimizers are not the big swings. They don't like to lose. They like incremental gains versus builders are like, dude, let's shoot the moon. And if this hits, this is a 20% lift. If it doesn't kill it and move on. But anyways, great it's points, Chase. You are too, as a human. Yes. The, the builders versus so well put. Even the way you just talked about the, the backing into if we've got these conversion rates in terms of a funnel, so let's go put more at the top of the funnel because we get more at the bottom of the funnel. You were saying that, and I'm like, that's how I live my life. Yeah. And there's a there's a divide between the way you and I approach just the fundamentals of who we are. You have this creative ability, you way more entrepreneurial builder mentality than me, where the only thing that really helps me is exactly what you just described. Like I felt attacked. That is how I want to go <laughs> go after it. 
But once you, the, the, <laughs> so good. the delusion is that once we've set a goal, you've accomplished anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dangerous part is that to set a goal is not to in any way actually help anyone figure out what they should be doing on a day-to-day basis or aligning how they should use their time. And that's why like, I fall so much harder into the category of, this is that philosophical thing I hinted at. The only thing I can control is me, and I'm not even that good at it, but I got a shot at controlling me. I can control the inputs, where I put my time, where I put my energy. I have a diminishing circle of impact based on who's on my team and who actually reports into me that I can then hone and coach and guide them along the right path as well. But there's, there is a fundamental divide between the things that I do and I can control and the outputs. I really yeah. can't. There, there's no, so to, to have anything outside of my control as the actual goal, I believe is fundamentally wrongheaded. The only, that, that whole measurement thing that you talked about is now the inputs and the activities have to have a clock on them and some way of measuring whether or not they're producing yeah. a return. Yeah. Absolutely. And the quicker you totally can make that turn that and that feedback loop, the better you're off because then you can position totally the turn. And right. Yeah. But I'm so much more concerned. And what I see over and over again is that there's this obsession with we want to focus on the outcome. We want to rally around the outcome. It's the big picture vision. And then there's this enormous gulf between that and what do I actually do as a leader or even as an individual contributor? And that's where the, yeah. the frustration and the pain and the mis with that, that's where strategy falls apart is, is yeah. at that level of what are the actual inputs I can control? That is a gift to give to somebody. And then to have that connected to what part of the ultimate outcome can you drive? And if that happens to be get more traffic to the site all day, every day can go get it. I no longer feel attacked. I just, I just gave my defense. Yeah. So Rick and I on, on the episode we did, I think number seven, we talked about how like OKRs are shit, but there is kind of another way to do this, which is like you back into this, what you're talking about, especially with the ICs that are underneath you, which is like objective jobs to be done after that. It's so like, what's your objective? And then what are the jobs to be done? So it's like, oh, JTBD kind of thing, because you need an objective, right? What is the objective? So like, yes, there's the kind of macro objective of the company. Okay, in our in our segment or, or our side of the house, this is the objective that ladders up to this. What are the, your jobs to be done to actually hit this objective here? But like, we add three, five, seven different fucking objectives rather than saying like, look, dude, there is just one thing that we are doing and we're aligned on that. And like being really, really rigorous about being focused, like, because you said it, Ao, only thing we can control is ourselves. So if we know our objective within the macro kind of objective of how we ladder into the brain, then we can focus on all the jobs to be done that you can then give to the rank and file, right? Like that's really kind of, I really love when he pushed me on that. I thought it was such a, uh, like a succinct way to think about it, but the king of jobs to be done has something to say about this. I know, I know. Yeah, no. So I used to be, I used to shit on OKRs a lot and I still probably do, but what I've found with OKRs was it's not necessarily like the system is bad. It's the implementation usually sucks. And the other thing that I found with OKRs is that if leadership doesn't do them, they're absolutely pointless because you can get these cross kind of goals where it's like you're pulling against each other instead of working with each other. And so if leader... And then finally, the third pitfall that I would say is leadership wants to optimize for three things. 
And you're just like, well, that's not really how optimization works. You usually optimize for one thing, maybe two. And so you have 77 different things that you're trying to go for. It's like, no, dude, we just want to crank MRR. That is our North Star metric. Or we want to yeah. boost our conversion rate. That's our yeah. North Star metric. And that can give you clarity that can then trickle down. Because I think I'm coming off like I'm, I'm shitting on measurement. Measurement's awesome, but measurement isn't the goal. I've said that 17 million times. However, where me- measurement really matters is, to your point, in the the people beneath you, your, your direct reports, et cetera, et cetera. Like Tommy, I can't like when Tommy's running social when I was at Triple Well, I'm not gonna hold this guy to MRR goals. I'm looking at, hey, what's our actual like these soft metrics? What's our engagement per impression? What are our impressions? What are our growth across channels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then that builds in and that needs to f- bubble up to my goal of like, hey, we need more customers that are gonna spend more money, that are gonna like, how can we increase that velocity? Because MRR was our goal. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't have these measurements, but if you one have 78 things that you're trying to optimize for, that's already a loss. Two, if yes. leadership isn't clear, or even worse, leadership starts poking their nose in your, and then it becomes their fault, your problem. Which is a horrible place to be, and then finally, so I totally agree with you guys. But I've just there's layers to this, and nothing works unless the key stakeholder, which is usually the CEO, says, "Hey, this is where it goes." Because even though there's a quote unquote leadership team, there's one usually decision maker, and that's, yeah, yeah. that more than likely is either the CEO or the president, whoever's driving the boat, usually the majority shareholder. And so, if that isn't in place. All this stuff, it's pointless, candidly. Like it's basically busy work because you're just going to build a system that's siloed from the whole company. However, when you do get everybody on the same page and say, hey, I know everybody has their individual goals, but this is the one number that we want to look at. And if this number goes this way, everybody's doing a good job. If this number goes that way, nobody's doing a good job. And then you can rally around that. And then you can build these OKRs or whatever, these systems. But if you have basically siloed OKRs, that's literally not the point. That's the, It's disaster. worse than not having OKRs, having siloed oh, OKRs, because every single departmental OKR should be derivative of what the CEO places as the OKR for the business. 100%. So I'm going to just put a bow on this little section of this. I want to keep going on this. because, But the two things I heard from all of us is like executive level, say C-level, VP level, clarity. What are we doing? How do we all align together? down translation so that they have a clarity on what they're actually doing and how it matters to them, right? And you essentially are the way station for that. You're the conduit for them to understand how they affect the whole. Because the big thing is for anyone to hit something like they have to feel empowered. I think this is kind of the thing we're not really like, we're not really thinking about here is when you have someone who's killing it, they feel empowered. The minute they feel disenfranchised because they're not hitting something that the company talked about, they start not giving their best. They start getting negative. And eventually, they fucking churn. And then where are you? You have to go get a new person. I've dealt with this before. Like You're pushing them so hard, you get kind of down in the, in the mud. And all these things get like uh, all these things get tangled. And unfortunately, you're in those big meetings. You can work through it. They're not. And if you're not translating it well enough, they're going to feel bad and they're going to be like, I don't want to feel bad. This shit's too hard. Fuck off. I'm out of here. So like, yeah. it's such an important one. You want the work done. You've got to have empathy for the fact that this shit is really hard and they're a human being. They need to understand how they are making a difference and are empowered. So like, that's 
that probably the biggest thing is like clarity, executive level, clarity down by translating how this affects their jobs to be done through the process. I don't know how you put that into, that's it. That's the no, go that. tattoo, put it in a poster, something like that. Put a cute cat next to it. You're burning into your consciousness. That's put a bunny it. next to it. Yeah. Put a bunny next to it, like hanging on a wall somewhere. Yeah. That's absolutely, especially that translation piece. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that there's like talent flight's a real thing. And the more talented they are, the more options they have. And if you're, uh, the last thing I would say is be very, there's like a goal that you want to get to and then there's a stretch goal. But if you're constantly either A, moving that stretch goal because you've already had so much success, you're like, oh, I didn't I didn't hit this. As a top performer, you just get like, to your point, Chase, demoralized where it's like, I can't win. Even though you're winning, you're like, oh, I can't win because I'm never hitting my goals. Well, because the goals are preposterous. And so that is something that is is really important where I, I definitely I am super on board with the CEO being this crazy visionary. Like that's who I follow. That's who I want to work for. But yeah. there has to be a semblance or a tether to reality of like, here's here's where we can get to. This is the high five stage. If we get anything over, that's great. But like those stretch goals can be be incredibly demoralizing. And to your point, Chase, like talent flight is a real thing and like doing great work, but constantly feeling shitty about yourself is is a, it's not a great place um, and it, it starts to really grind you down. So I think that's a, it's a great, great way to put it and uh, really important. One thing I had a question for you guys before we move on to the, the next section, I was thinking about this a lot, like you want to push people. And like, I think this, uh, this maybe goes into that second portion, which is how do you help the people translate the information? You want to teach them, but you also want to give them the space to like fuck up and learn. And it's like, I think about this with my kids, right? Like, okay, you want to protect them, but you also want to let them like ride the bike without the training wheels and go forward. But you also need to push them. And so sometimes you have to give them shit, right? And so like, I'm a very, I'm a people pleaser. Like I'm always really nice to people and I always have a it's weird challenge. So like I've had when I'll go into meetings where happy go lucky all the time. Hey, laughing, sending gifs, having a good time. And then I come into the meeting and I'm like, fucking mercenary because i'm pissed off and people are like very taken aback right i'm not right i'm also not wrong right there has to strike a balance with like hey look dad's angry right you should know that this is the wrong thing but also if you go too bad you can push it too far because like you can have a hundred things you do right in life you fuck up once no only everyone only remembers the fuck up. You guys talked about it on the last one, like compliments and like when yeah. there's a negative reaction. Like what is the what there's a multiple they they have out there, which is like 10x you tell 10 people about when you have a good experience, you tell like two when you have a good or bad experience is 10x good experience like 2x. So same thing goes with the emotion of having a bad experience at work. It's probably 10x worse than when you have a good experience. Someone's like, oh, good job. Like, oh, whatever, man. Compliment. Someone's just like, dude, what the fuck was that? You're telling your mom, you're telling your wife, you're telling your you know, girlfriend, you're telling your friends, you're texting people like, dude, this motherfucker is a dick. So I'm curious because I think it really does ladder into how do you actually translate these things is how do you give people a great work experience while also pushing them to actually hit these objectives and goals that we're talking about? I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but it no, really it's super really important. Like it really yeah, struck yeah, I'll tackle this because I know I want to get to product growth hack too. Yeah. Oh, I, I got bars too. So, so lay down <laughs> the, the prelude and I'm going to come in with the, the finale. The only thing you can never do as a leader is violate or not provide expectations. That's the fundamental. Ooh, that's interesting. Sin because 
it's in the absence of expectations that are unspoken, unprovided, that I feel most attacked, most put down, and most wrong. If the expectation is known and it's not lived up to, fine. It's when it becomes a surprise, or just like we were talking about the, the goal line getting moved, or not even knowing that it was there. And th this is the really effed up thing that I'll do is when I get to a breaking point with someone who I think is underperforming, I, oh, this is so messed up. I actually withhold the expectation so that they'll fail. <laughs> this, this is like confession time. That's it savage, like, bro. It, no, it is. It's not right. It, yeah. It's not. It's actually not like, I know we've got this whole like right and wrong. Is it a believer? Yeah. I would go so far in this situation is that's not right. That is not okay behavior, Aaron. That's not okay. You don't get not to do it. that. So yeah. I'll, I'll throw down with that right there. That that <laughs> Then you get to be as brutal as you want. Oh my God. Outside of that. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of, uh, if the coach stops yelling at you, you kind of know oh, you've dude. lost where that, there might oh, be a little dude. bit of that where you just kind of realize it's a lost call. Like you want the coach to be like, Hey dude, improve X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I have a little bit of a different tack. I quasi agree. Well, I don't agree with the, the non divulging of the expectations thing. I think if it gets <laughs> to that place, you just need to, you know, here's a nice severance package. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. your hard work and yeah. move on. I, I don't necessarily totally align with that. And I don't, I don't actually yeah. think you do either. AO is just <laughs> <laughs> spontaneous confessional. Well, Maybe we honestly, like bleep yeah. it out. <laughs> so I am not super, or one, I think, again, depending on the stage of your company, but not even, honestly, like I am a huge believer in autonomy. I tell you what I need, when I need it, the how is what the money's for. That's why you're getting paid. And I also don't believe in really holding people exclusively accountable for performance. And let me expand on that. There's something called resulting, right? Where you're always, always, always just looking at the result. There's a, a great book by Annie Duke called Thinking in Bet. She goes into all of it. So you can go read it if you're super interested. But the too long didn't read is everybody on my team, they, I want them thinking using the scientific method. Here's my thesis, Raba. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's why I think it's going to happen. Here's what did happen. And so to give you a little more clarity on that, if you make a system and 80% of the time it's going to produce a great result and 20% of the time it doesn't, if you get into that bad result, it's not a bad system. Don't throw that system away. And so as long I didn't really know, I mean, obviously you can't have perpetual failure. I'm not saying like that gets into the place of what AI was talking about, where it's like, hey, you know, here's your severance. I really appreciate the time and you know, let me know if I can help you on your next journey. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is. You can't get addicted to outcomes. What you want to do, true success is building systems and building a thesis that you want to test. You really have a great experiment that you experiment on, and sometimes it doesn't work out. It's okay. If people came to me when they had what we would quote unquote designate as a failure, but they could walk me through the logic tree of like, hey, Robba, here was the bet I made. Here's why I made it. Here's what I thought would happen. Here's what did happen. These are the reasons I think that the thesis was falsified. Okay, cool. I have no problem with that. What really gets my goat and when daddy gets mad and coming in the room, when there is not any thought put into that, when it's like, dude, why the fuck did you spend $10,000 on what? Like, I don't mind that you spent the money and I don't mind you taking chances. I want to have curiosity. I want to have excitement. I don't want people to get gun shy. But at the same time, 
we're not out here fucking to push a RAV4. Like, we're trying to build an empire, and this is not how you build an empire. That's what got my goat. But the thing there is, if you give people that autonomy, it's way better because there's just going to be shit that doesn't work out. And you don't want your best players feeling demoralized because they think they suck. They might not suck. They just caught the bad end of a really good probability. Life is probabilistic. It's not deterministic. And so if you can give and empower your people to think in the scientific method of like, hey, what's the experiment we're going to run? What are the resources needed? What do you think the outcome is going to be? And there's a really, really cohesive logic train. You just end up on the other side of it. It is what it is. Let, let's run something else. And we know, hey, this is a this thesis has been falsified. So that's that's how I took management, where there was yeah. definitely like like the, the, the daddy hot buttons of like, you were not thoughtful in your bet. That was very, very bad. But if you made Systems a great bet, it just outcomes. didn't land. Yeah. Exactly. Perfectly put. That, Perfectly put it in put. the headline. That's yeah. what this is called. That's Boom. The Perfectly put. Yes. And, and, and it's just a better way to work. It's so a better the, way to work. The, You're not going to win all your bets. So the thing I, I took out of this also, though, and maybe the the not the pushback, but kind of the, the next layer of this is you want systems for the team and you want them to learn how to build them. Junior people don't generally know how to build them. They need to be helped to be taught or forced to like, hey, look, you need to build a system. And then, hey, go fucking figure it out, right? Because this is the biggest thing. This is the thing I learned was like, this is crossing the canyon between being an IC and being a manager is, hey, look, I have all these thoughts, the whole experimentation thing. That you, how are you going to fix it, right? I don't, like, fine, you have all this, the scientific method around what, how you did it. What's the next step? And they have to have a system with which they can action on, and then they can make it better, optimize it. Like I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't know how to do everything, but like, it's the same thing. You want your kids to be good. You have to show them how to be good, and then they'll be better than you. You can't expect them to just show up like that. Yeah, they're unicorns. Hundred percent, they're unicorns, right? You want to hire as many of them as possible, but like, that's not a winning proposition long term because it's going to take you a shit, shit long time to actually make that happen. So I think there is this other next step where like you have to have the right systems in place. By the way, it's like dieting, for instance. You don't have the right systems. It's like you're not going to you're not going to hit your goals. You know like these things always come like this. So I think what you guys talked about systems over everything. Completely yep. aligned on that and then the expectations, man. I'll give you guys one final little story about this expectations thing. Uh yep. hey, I just dipped on us. Uh, no, he had to bounce. He has he has to go uh, empire build. Yeah, we'll sign uh, up. For okay, him. so the last the, the last expectations. Thing like I this, yeah, I had this expectations thing. So I got pipped at a job, but I didn't know yep. what my expectations were. The minute we had yes. the pip, they gave me the expectations, crushed it. Yep. Right? Didn't yep. have didn't get fired. Yep. Didn't none, none of those things. But it was like it's you the got path. the expectations. So okay, yes. we're we're putting a button on this. What is your product of the week? You know, I'm actually stealing it from you. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm going to give you two this week. It's that uh, ArcNav. It, yeah. it looks super awesome. I'm really excited to play with it. Um, it's kind of like a, a browser, but also like shortcuts and like, it's pretty strong. Yeah. So if you go to, I think it is, yeah, arc.net, um, really, really strong. And then the the second one that I alluded to earlier in the episode, um, Shopify's 3D rendering of your products. It is super cool. And the other thing is that I'm really interested in is can you animate it, right? So you have this mm-hmm. thing and then like you can have this like nice rotation of your product and things of that nature. So you have to have iOS 17 and then an iPhone, but you can do it right in the Shopify app. You know, not the shop app, the, the yeah. proper Shopify app. So those are my two picks of the week. They're, they're super strong. Really, really interested. And I, I, I think it's going to 
the democratization of uh, these higher end things always gets me excited. And who better to do it than Shopify? Hundred percent. The love never ends from us to Shopify. They're incredible. Nah, like they just powerful don't, Canadians. They don't stop. Yeah. My growth nugget of the week is kind of based on you know we were we were together recently um, at an event, and I think there's as much as I've worked from home pretty exclusively no exclusively since like I think March fifteenth, twenty twenty. But there's nothing like seeing people in person and kind of the things like there's a there's just a magic of things that happen when people can kind of see like they're like, oh, you're a real person. You're not just a you know a screen. And so I think as much as you know, we talk about making money on the internet um, and being able to provide software and, and, and different services for people, humanity still wins. And so the more you can spend time with your your tribe and connecting with people great things are going to happen for you. You're going to first feel like your cup will be full because you got to be with people who understand you have been with you. Like seeing you in the flesh, there's nothing like, you know, us being together. I, I, I love it completely. The other one is like, dude, you make amazing connections, right? And there's just another weird thing that Huge. happens once you see those people in the flesh, you become more comfortable with like doing things than you were before. So just connect with people as much as possible. If you can do in real life stuff, just do it. The benefits I mean, there is benefit. I, I almost want to say it's like it's untold, right? You just it's huge. So that's my that's my growth nugget of the week. No, I couldn't. Shout out to Jimmy for throwing an incredible event, first yeah. event, and it was sensational. Yeah. Uh, no, I couldn't agree more. And I also would say be open and curious to meet people because a lot of times there might be some divergence of their online personality to their in real life personality. And so I would say, just don't write at anybody. I mean, if they suck in person, then fuck them. But like, you know, (laughs) be, be interested and explore. And like, I, one of the best things that my dad did was bring me up really, really. I mean, we kind of had the same immigrant dad experience where it's perfection, take criticism, et cetera, et cetera. And you build this skin that this thick skin that not only can you take constructive criticism, but the real show, like the expert mode, is being able to take constructive criticism from somebody you might not really like. But it's actually yeah. useful to build your yeah. empire and doing that stuff. So I'm not saying you want to live and work around those people. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that are really actually incredibly interesting online or uh, offline, and maybe sometimes their persona might not align with some of your, you know, things. And so, yeah, just, just be open, caring, try and spread the light and love and if people suck. They suck. But I like to start from the premise that people are, are, are smart and they're trying to do the right thing. And yep. you know, when they prove me wrong, it's really easy to ratchet into kind of the douchebag category. But for the most part, the <laughs> most people are really actually interested in, very lovely. in are trying to do good. Yeah. hundred percent. You want to hit us with the sign-off? AO did the early sign-off. No, maybe maybe we need to give him the sign-off. He he gave us the early sign-off. Yes. So we are going to – oh, yeah. When this drops, you guys will be able to – we got a ton. So you're going to be able to subscribe to our newsletter. You'll be able to pre-sign up. We haven't put dates on it yet, but um, really inspired actually by the uh, gals over at Marketing One. We're going to do some sort of cohort-based learning. Um, We keep getting hit up on it, and so – we're building actually a bunch of really cool systems out. I'm over here looking at my calendar in Notion. And so we'll probably launch the cohort-based stuff in Q1, but we'll be doing kind of some pre-signups there. We'll do the Newsy drop, sign up for that. And then the YouTubes is also coming soon. And then what else I got for you? Yeah, just just been to your point, man. I was so inspired and awesome to see everybody. I will say though, man, events drain me, dude. I forgot how much they drain me. I haven't been to an event in, uh, in quite some time. And Oh man, I'm in this introverted extrovert. So figure out what lights you up, 
do it, do more of it, spread the light, try and be the person that you want to look up to. And, you know, if you make some mistakes, it's fine. There's a, a great but cheesy quote. So I just, it, it's either one day or today. Oh, damn it. I totally butchered it. I was on a fucking flow too, you is it? it. I saw it. it at a, a music festival and I totally dropped yeah, well, it. Very like, uh, was, your, your be the person you want to be was very Matthew McConaughey accepting the Oscar. Like I'm always love that guy. facing my, you know, me 10 years in the future, which is hundred percent true so i totally missed it one day or day one it's your choice yeah and so that that was the damn it i saw it at a, a crazy music day festival, one, baby. So that's, that's probably uh, not that's, not that's, in the, the, the best state of mind to uh keep yeah. thoughts <laughs> <laughs> supplanted in my head but yeah. uh, no i just like i mean i think me and you have very two peas in the pod where there's a certain aspect of eradicating perfectionism is actually super meaningful and like yeah. just do action breeds action and if you have that perfectionism in you it'll come out but don't let it stop you from doing like like just yeah. do make today the day that you become better and the other thing is the future only comes one day at a time so there's really no point in thinking what's going to happen x y and z there's no way to fast forward there's no way to rewind be in the okay. present be happy kiss your partner smile at a friend try to do some good in the world 100 percent. well Signing off, right? Like, subscribe, got hug him. us. Got him. Yeah, let's got him. Go. Send us some virtual hugs. Episode one, season two, with the third musketeer, the best musketeer. Signing off. Yeah, who are we? We were. Am I D'Artagnan? Can I? Can I be? Can I be D'Artagnan? Yeah, who are you gonna be? Be whoever you want. Be whoever you want. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll Amazing. be. I'll be. Uh, I'll be a, a mean a, a Athos. He can be. Uh, <laughs> that is so uh, you. That's yeah, he so could be. He could be, he could be. He could be Aramis, dude. Oh, that, actually lands. Yeah. that actually lands. That actually lands. Maybe Porthos. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Maybe we need some. We need we Porthos. Maybe those are, we can just make be, sure all of our guests are Porthos style. The PC, uh, yeah, the PC. Yeah, yeah. One of them. yeah. All, all right, right, man. This is great. always a pleasure, brother. Thanks yeah. everybody for listening. Uh, oh, hit us up, uh, Growth Vault Twitters. Also, if you can do any sort of reviews, we really appreciate that. And then, lastly, um, either we're going to be doing one guest spot a month. So hit us up with uh, guests that you think we should have on the show. And then also yeah. let us know if there's anything that we can do to make the show better. This show is absolutely to create value for you all. It's also cathartic for us, to be fair. But yeah. it's definitely to make sure that you guys are getting as much value as possible so you can get further not only in your personal life but in your career. So if there's anything that you want to talk about or we should, a subject we should go deep on, um, ping us on the Twitters, Robert Ray Hill, Tash Machini. And then uh, at the Growth Vault as well. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Cheers, guys. Cheers.